Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. It's part of Comedy Victoria and hosted by me, Luke Morris. It's been a busy period. Sorry, this is starting off really smoothly. Um, you know what's really smooth? This interview. Ooh, segue. This interview with Aidan Jones. Uh, he's, Aidan's known in some parts as Taco, and we talked about him touring the show Taco uh, around Australia, um, as well as gigging in Edinburgh, how he got started in Edinburgh and just started in comedy in general, and how he goes gigging across the UK and Europe doing stand-up. That's really interesting. It's amazing. It's really interesting to see how he writes for all those audiences all at the same time. Um, he's a very talented, hard-working guy. Uh, his approach to writing a solo show, uh, we talk about that at the end of this uh, episode, and that's one of the most interesting things, I think, for any, any new performer, someone who's thinking about writing their own solo show, Definitely listen to this episode. Definitely check out Aiden's views on how to go about doing that. Uh, also, check out his Instagram. Uh, I'll, I'll supply is Aiden Jones Comedy. I'm pretty sure uh, his Instagram, his Facebook. He's got a YouTube channel. Uh, I'll supply a link in the show notes because he has a m- movie, a documentary about Edinburgh through there. That's Terrific for anyone who's thinking of going to Edinburgh to, to watch. Um, and he's also got plenty of solo work on there as well. Check it out. Um, if you like this, support it. Uh, become a member. Go to comedyvictoria.com.au or just follow us at Comedy Vic. Uh, I'm going to start doing a newsletter that you can actually physically read and click links on and find extra information off. And so become a member and you start getting that. I'm saying this into a microphone, so I've got to actually do it. I'm manifesting. So that will be coming soon. But first, we're going to dissect the frog of touring comedy with Aidan Jones. Well, what's, so what is the project you're working on? You've got, you've got so much on the cards. You, but what's the what's the documentary about? The documentary. Oh God, sorry. Fuck. You know what? At therapy, I've learned that when I'm stressed, one of my like primary reactions is to shut down, and a lot, oh. that, that often comes up with yawning. Yeah, okay. There's something about you asking me about my documentary. Stress. <laughs> And so my body has instinctively yawned. Um, we can dodge it, but you did say you've got a, you, you you're working to keep it no, going. No, mate. It sounds anyway, it's pretty rainy outside today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah crazy weather. Um, no, it's about it's called. You had to be there. It's about um, the Edinburgh Fringe coming back after COVID, so first oh, yeah. time in, in a couple of years. And basically, I was over in the Edinburgh Fringe. Oh, look, at you. look how stressed you are about I'm so stressed. Fuck, I'm about to bite my computer in half um, I uh, went up to Edinburgh and that was my seventh time doing the Edinburgh Fringe and I've done it so much in the past and love it and it's so important to me and then it was gone mm. and so I wanted to talk to a bunch of other people who were there every year or new acts or whoever it was 
to just kind of get an overall picture of like what the fringe is because I feel like it's such a huge thing and it's so hard to explain to people Hence the title, you had to be there. Well, it, it is a huge thing. I, I I went there just briefly, saw you and some other people. And it's it's just a labyrinth of buildings and anywhere there's a you can put up a microphone and, and a spotlight is a is a gig. Totally. It's, I, it, the only way to sort of explain it as a labyrinth is it's like, it's like a, a city built on top of a city built on top of a city that's all been pushed into rubble yeah. so it's it, it's just sort of built on top of something else and that's why you get all these little crooked little parts and yeah that's gigs. right because it was literally built on top of itself because when they had the plague they just built right. houses on top of the plague houses yes and blocked they, those people in they tried to get away from them yeah uh-huh. but yeah man and, and so i just interviewed all these all these comics like a lot of australian acts and acts who i knew from the uk and uh a few bigger names, which was cool as well. Managed to get like Glenn Wall, um, managed to get Mervyn Stutter, who's run Pick of the Fringe for 35 years. Um, but, uh, and just asking people, you know, what was your first time at the Fringe? Any stories? And, and if you could explain it to someone outside, you know, who's never been, what would you say? Because it really is like it defies any kind of explanation because it's just so, the scope of it is so broad and it's huge. Every year, that the fringe happens. This is a cool stat every, every year, this year, probably not because it was smaller, but every year when it grows, it becomes that year is the biggest arts festival, not only in the world, but in the history of humanity. Oh yeah. 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 It, because it, it's just so, it's like the whole city that like this, the population doubles for the yep. month of August. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. And it's been such a huge thing for me. Like, comedically and and personally like i've gone to the fringe and i've learned about comedy it it was the first place where i kind of realized that i could make a career out of comedy and make money from it and that was feasible and i could find an audience and um and then also personally like i've gone there and you know fallen in love and i've (laughs) met friends who i've like see once a year but they're like close friends and it just so much man it's what what made you go over there to start off with well, I was moving to London and the reason I was moving to London is because when I was 22, I had a thousand dollars one time. Um, <laughs> this sounds like a distant past. And, and sort I, of like once had a thousand dollars. Well, I never had a thousand dollars before, but I did a week's worth of promo work at the uni games in the Gold Coast in 2013 and, and uh, like holding a microphone and commentating on people playing some dumb parlor game to win iced coffee. Um, and they paid me a thousand dollars and I literally got off the flight to get back to Melbourne, went to the travel expo at the convention center, because I knew if I, this thousand dollars is going to be gone in a month, if I don't spend it on something right now. So I went to the travel expo and booked a one-way ticket to Paris. Oh, wow. Um, for like 10 months in the future. Cause that was as far away as you could do. I was scared, but I knew I had to do it. So I was like, I'll put it as far in the future as I can. And then, um, in the months leading up to that flight, I was like, oh, I don't have enough money to go on a holiday and it's actually cheaper to just move somewhere, get a job and go. So I was like, well, I'll get the the two year visa for the UK. And then when I was like doing that, I realized that the Edinburgh fringe is in August. So I was like, well, I'll I'll land in July, spend a couple of weeks in France and then uh, go to the Edinburgh fringe for two weeks. And then I'll move to London. Were you doing gigs before? 
that? Yeah, so yeah. When did I you start? start? So you I must have started in early. 2012 or 2011. I re- I did my first gig August 15, 2011. So, so I, yeah, it was when you were 20? Yeah. Right. And then I moved to Melbourne in 2012, July 2012. So I, re- I did like 10 gigs in between my first gig and moving to Melbourne. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I started gigging like a couple times a week and going to comedy every night. So what you'd been doing stand up for what, two years or three years before you went to Edinburgh? Yes, yeah, yeah, three. Let's say three years. Yeah, cool. I really two probably though. Yeah, and, ha- I, and the first year, a, that feels like it would be a big jump. Well, the first time I did Edinburgh, I didn't do a solo show. I just showed up in the city with a bed in a hostel and was like, right, how does this work? And um, yeah. I I went I went through the guide. And just looked up every showcase show I could find, like circled them all yep. and made a list. And then I went to all of them. And at the end of each of those shows, I was like, hey, can I have a spot? And um, some of them said, no, fuck off. And some of them said, I remember this one guy, Andy Barr, uh, his show was called A Robot Presents Comedy. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that sounds like a showcase. And then I got there. And I got in and it, it, the show had already started. And it was this guy standing on stage with a robot head on, like a cardboard robot head. Yeah. Doing doing comedy as a robot. I'm like, oh, I'm a robot. And as a robot, I don't have any digestive system. And then, and then like, you know, and then. Observational like, humor about being a robot. Being a yeah. robot. Yeah. And then after like five minutes, he goes, okay, now clap your meaty human flesh hands together and welcome to the stage your first act Andy Barr and he turned around took the head off and then just came back to the stage (laughs) and I was like oh this isn't I was like one that's really funny and two this isn't a lineup show (laughs) now I have to sit here and watch this and I'm not going to get a spot Oh, but you learn so much going around and finding all those really different acts and just amazing. It's amazing that so many people get those, get audiences all over the place. But what did you learn that first year? Man, I learned, I learned that there's a community of comedians all over the world and that I guess that people respect if you're just like, I'm a comic they believe you, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there's a respect there. Like I could just go and I did, I ended up getting on a bunch of people's shows that year from just, I actually met a couple of them, these two um, stags and Woodward, um, this couple from like Leeds, I think Leeds who had a show called the bite at 1am in uh, espionage Casbah, which is this old bar, which has since been knocked down. But I, I went there a few times and after a while they were like, yeah, right, you can get on. And then I did that gig like most nights for the two and a half weeks that I was there. And um, it really feels like it's an environment that gives anybody a go. Yeah, totally. Because they just had spot. And that's not, sorry. I just fucking, I just, I just lost myself in a heady nostalgia. I saw them again this year um, and I hadn't seen them since. And they were like, oh my God. Yes. Like we remember you. And I did a spot on their show again. And it's been like, that was eight years ago, the first time yeah. I went. It was so cool. But yeah, man, I just, I did spots on all these shows and met a bunch of people and a lot of them I'm still friends with today or see around comedy. And yeah, it just, it, it showed me that like, 
you know, I had only really been gigging in Melbourne. I'd been up to Brisbane once in the two years that I lived in Melbourne. So I'd done comedy there, <clears throat> but I hadn't had an experience of traveling with comedy and then going to Edinburgh when no, I literally, I knew no comedians, zero. I, I knew there were like a couple Australian comics out there, but they were kind of ahead of me yeah. and they were already doing bigger shows and stuff. So like, I think Demi Lardner, I, I, I was, I played some, bit part in Demi Lardner's show that year at the Gilded Balloon. Ben Russell was up there. Yeah. Um, but none of these people knew who I was. They, they kind of knew me, but like, you know, I wasn't like on their level. Yeah. Um, and so I just had to find my people who are at my level. And the way that I did that was just going to shows. And if people gave me spots, then I was like, all right, we're probably... And if they saw me and were like, not like he's a loser, they <laughs> like, yeah, he's all right. I was like, well, yeah, all right. We're in the same kind of group. <laughs> but there is, it is a thing. So you working your way in doing gigs. You learnt about how to go about Edinburgh. Like there's booking rooms and finding and flyering and all the the mess of how to get things going in Edinburgh. It was just that first year was just the experience and learning. Yeah, well, the first three years, because then every year when I was living in London, I would go up to Edinburgh for like, I think 2015, I went for like a week and a half or something. And 2016, I think I went for like a week. No, maybe 2015, I went for like two weeks or whatever. And 2016, I did a very short run with my friend Jacob Hawley. Um, He was doing a split show with his mate. And it was at like a theater that was owned by someone who he went to uni with or something, some loose connection, but it was, uh, I mean, it was the worst location. It was so far away from everything, but I had written my first show about living with a con man in London and I was kind of working on it at that point. And so he came to me with like, do you want to do a spot in this place? And so I got four nights there. Um, and that was a real trial by fire because like I, we were so far away and it was so hard to get people. But I remember even like one, like we were flying on the Royal Mile. And I remember this one lady in like a huge mobility scooter going all the way. Like it must have been probably like a 15 minute walk from the Royal Mile. Ooh, so like far. That is, and, yeah. And this lady came, I flyered her. And I look back at my fly right now, it was fucked. I was so, um, what's the word? Like defensive or scared of failure because my flyer was just a nice photo of me and then I'm bad at graphic design. So I just had a block, like a, like a square of like blue and then heaps of text. And the text, <laughs> was, and the text was basically like, Hey, if you're reading this, you probably think I'm funny or maybe you don't and you're not reading it. In which case, fuck you. Anyway, <laughs> if you're re- like, just the most insane copy. <laughs> not like, hey, here's my show or whatever. Nah, just like, you're probably not reading this, so fuck you. Like, I thought that would be funny. But anyway, someone, this lady read it and she did her 15 minutes on the mobility scooter, probably like 20 minutes to get there, all the way to the venue. And then it wasn't, it was wheelchair accessible, but not through the main entrance. Also, there was no bar, so you couldn't drink. Um, and there were steps to get up to the like area where you would get tickets. But to get into the main theater, the only accessibility was it was like a garage. So they had to open the whole back of the theater to get this lady's mobility scooter in. So we like opened the whole theater and like, you know, had to find the space up, but we got her in and there were like six people in 
and yeah. I did the show to them, and they were lovely. And I was like, oh my god! If yeah, I'm hoping she fight, enjoyed the show after all of that. I think she did. I think <laughs> if she didn't, I would remember it. I think because it would be a better story if she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> But she, she was like the fact that she came, you know, like the fact that, and I remembered flyering her on the Royal Mile. I remember giving her the flyer and she was like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll come. And then she came and that was such a light bulb moment for me to be like, oh my God, you can just have honest interactions with people, talk to them like a person, tell them about your thing. And if they're interested, they'll come. And that seems very simple, but to you know a 25 year old who's been doing comedy for four years but is still not getting anywhere in the business that's a real revelation to just be like just just do it just talk to people tell them what you're doing and they might actually come what do you think you think you haven't been doing you're not getting your in the business after four years it sounds like you know doing gigs in edinburgh getting spots you know even though you might be a 15 minute walk away from the mile there's growth there there's 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 progress i mean yeah, yeah. do, do you feel that you've, you're actually moving well no i guess uh i now i can look back and see i'm sure yeah there is progress but like i don't know man i was still pretty bad at comedy and uh <laughs> <laughs> and like at the time, it definitely didn't feel like I was progressing. I mean, you got to remember at the time, I'd done two years of comedy in Melbourne, and then I'd done two years in London, and I'd started to feel like I was getting in at a couple clubs in London and doing okay, but my visa was ending, and so I was having to move back to Melbourne. And so it was kind of feeling like, well, fuck, I just, I did two years in Melbourne and I got somewhere, and now I've been two years here, and I'm going back. Am I just going back? Like, is that two years has been a complete waste and I'm going back to where I started? And as it turns out, like it wasn't at all, but it took another couple years in Melbourne for me to get anywhere again. Like I didn't even really get any attention. Is that the contacts? Do you think? It was... Contacts and a lot of bitterness on my part. Like I got back to Melbourne and expected that I would slot in at some kind of level and I didn't. And I yeah. saw all these people who didn't, I didn't know from when I left, but they were doing really well and were kind of ahead of me. And I was like, what the fuck? Who took my spot in the line? <laughs> and it took me, uh, a, it took me until I was like, yeah, it took me until maybe 20, 2018 doing my first solo show in the Melbourne comedy festival to realize that you not you don't have a spot in the line. There's no spots. There's no line. Everyone goes at their own pace and you just do it and make it good as far as you can and that's it you're well, not racing against anyone that's an, that, i'm glad you're saying that because i was going to pull you up on on question about the idea of you've said a couple of times someone's up at higher level than you someone's a bit lower and i remember being in edinburgh and having beers with uh the tom tom ballard and um things sam taunton and some other people and they yeah, didn't those care losers. that's yeah. nice man that you stoop down to lower levels like that <laughs> no, good for you that's that, a very that, humble thing to no, have but, done. i'm no name dropping <laughs> but i'm name dropping just to just to, just to say that they didn't give a shit that i was basically an open micer yeah there and i don't know i guess maybe you're you're looking in terms of getting booked booking for yeah spots. well is, no is i mean because the respect there's not a lot of bitterness in terms of you deserve well, those to guys that, that's that's yeah. the thing is those guys are two very lovely guys and they will have a beer with anyone but i think i for a long time 
was really caught up in the status. And I mean, I still am to an extent. I still freak out about it, you know, the status, the levels of like, who's where and where do I fit in? And am I good enough to hang out with these people and whatever? So that was how I saw it for a long yeah. time. Is, but is some of that like getting booked as an MC or booked as the headliner or booked for five minutes or booked for yeah, 10? Yeah, or, that... or getting attention from festivals and yeah, selling, yeah. I mean, being managed, being having spots on TV or big shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff. And of course it doesn't matter, but what, what has helped me deal with that is um, taking control of my own career and my own trajectory rather than waiting around for things to happen. Like this year, man, that you've helped me a lot with is like, I was hoping this year that I would get some spots on the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow. And, um, you know, I just, I was like, yeah, I'd see the other people who are getting it and they're kind of my peers and people who I started with. And I feel like I'm at a level where I, I could do well on those shows. And I was just kind of expecting it, which is, a, that's your first mistake is to never expect anything, right? No one knows you shit. <laughs> But I was, and I didn't get it, and it really upset me, and I started to feel jealous of my friends who were getting those spots on those shows, which sucks. You don't want to be jealous of your friends, and then that's like something in between you and your friends that you can't be friends with them because you're feeling jealousy. And I uh, I realize if I sit around and wait for the comedy festival to give me these shows, well, I'm going to feel bad forever because I'm letting someone else be in control of my how I feel about myself. Yeah. But what you really helped me with is like this idea of like, okay, well, if I didn't get that, rather than sitting around moping about it, I'm going to go and try and put my own shows on and book them and sell my own tickets. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'll succeed, maybe I'll fail, but either way I'm succeeding or failing off the back of my own hard work rather than the whims of another person and their decisions, which could have a bunch of other factors contributing to it. Yeah, well, that's that's great. And I I'm, I'm really wanted to talk to you about that in terms of you've taken on the process of touring. You've toured a lot around Victoria Yeah. to, to make your own shows happen. And I said overseas. I mean, where could we start? Do, do you want to talk about Victorian gigs or do you want to talk about international gigs? What, Whatever what, you want, man. Whatever you think is more pertinent. Oh, pertinent. Well, it's, since it's Comedy Victoria, let's start with the Victorian gigs. What have you learnt this year from trying to build your own? <clears throat> what have I learnt? Tour? I haven't so much learnt what does work. I've learnt a lot of what doesn't work. Yeah. Which is helpful. I've failed a lot, um, which I think is great. You can't I, make anything um, without mistakes, mate. I think actually now, I mean, cause I've just, I've toured Victoria and I've just done a tour of WA, which I will be very candid to let you know was a financial disaster. Yeah. <laughs> An absolute fucking nightmare. Um, well, let's go flights over there and then you get accommodation yeah. and then coffee costs you $18. It's not a, an easy place to go to. Yeah. It was 950 return for the flights. Um, you could have gone to Paris for that money 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, I was doing uh, Margaret River, Albany and Perth and the Margaret River and Perth shows canceled. Um, the Albany show sold out, which was great, but I paid for the flights and I did a few spots in Perth and stuff, but yeah, I probably, I maybe, I maybe if I'm generous, broke even on the tour, maybe, yeah. but um, I learned and, and from Victoria as well, 
the most important thing if you don't have i don't have a following if you've got a following if you've got online presence and a lot of followers or a big you know fans or whatever great you know you're golden if you've got people who are going to buy tickets you really just got to find a venue and let those people know yeah. and, and you'll sell some tickets but if you don't have people already there who are going to buy tickets just having a venue and putting ads on i don't think is enough because I, I, I went, I did a big swing, you know, I, I had put a little bit of money into ads in the past and I went, you know what, go on a WA, no one knows me, but I've got some good video and I've got a bit of money. So I'm going to take a big swing and put a lot of money into ads and do all the traditional media and all of that. And it did not work. Yeah. Um, I, I chucked, yeah, like I chucked, uh, about 200 on that Margaret Rivet show and about 300 on that Perth show. Um, and that was before they both were canceled. So like, I would have put more money in, um, the Albany show. I only put 200 in. Why did that work? The Albany show sold out. Why do you think that one worked? Well, here's why the venue was supportive. Yeah. The Margaret river show. And I'm not, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the, the venues in Perth or, or Margaret river. Um, but they were just a bit more like leaving me to my own devices. And that was the deal. They didn't do anything wrong. But in Albany, the guy running the venue, he's trying to build a bit of a kind of culture of stand-up at that particular venue and in that town. Yeah. And he was very supportive to take my posters around to local businesses. He's oh, got wow. a bit of a kind of um, like a, you know, a mailing list of people who are coming to the shows and that kind of thing. So I was able to piggyback off of that. And then because I have like a strong pitch for the show and I've got like, when I got there, like it was 65 people in the room and I did, I said, who saw the ads and probably 20 of them clapped. So like there was enough people there from the ads, but I think what it was, was a combination of them having seen the ads and also having heard of the venue, knowing what this place was and going, Oh, that's on at that place that we like. Great. We'll go to that. A big, big element of all that is risk reduction. Yeah. And the risk reduction for the punter is we trust, I don't know who the guy was, but yeah, we Jeff. trust the, the Spectrum Theatre. We, we trust Spectrum Theatre is putting on a good show. We trust that he's going to give us a good yeah. act to go see. He's yes. vouching for the risk yeah. is lower, whereas, lower, lower, lower. Whereas... whereas in Margaret River, they just saw, hey, this guy's on, and they know the pub. Look, it's a big pub in Margaret River, but it's not like that pub has a reputation for putting comedy on. It yeah. was just like, oh, there's something happening in that pub. Could be good, could be bad. We don't know. We don't care. Keep going. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And was that the so, same uh, thing in Victoria? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. In in, uh, in Geelong, yeah, I didn't sell many. I sold a couple, but not many. And that venue has a bit more of a name. Um, and a few people had seen me do a spot at that venue previously. Um, so they knew you and came back that was that sort of following yes yes. in castlemaine um the venue was very supportive and uh i managed to sell quite a few decent amount of tickets made some money um yeah so i don't know man but i i think that the key thing is just yeah getting a venue on board who's gonna do a bit of who has a bit of a community in the area where you're putting yeah. the show on because if you if if you don't or if they're not like actively pushing you 
if it's just a space, then you better be selling those tickets yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's really, really hard. That's word of mouth. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah, that, that word of mouth is that is also risk reduction, but it, it is really feet, hard you when you're on feet, your own. You need some feet on the ground. It's amazing. Cause as you said, you've got a great video. You, you've got that solo show on that's online now. Yeah. On YouTube and Amazon prime. And, um, Actually, it just went up on Spotify and iTunes and stuff as an album last week as well, which is really cool. Cool. Oh, my God. Oh, you know what? Be yeah. here with me for this huge moment. Not oh. not being uh, joking or anything. Yeah. This is a big moment. Uh, where is my pencil case? I have a list of life goals on my wall that's been there for a couple years, maybe three, four years. Oh, do you get to cross something off? I get to cross something off. Oh, yeah. Here are some of the, it's to-do list. I'll read down some of them. Win the main award at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, not no, crossed off. Okay. Fall in love, crossed off. <laughs> that was a big one. Uh, I don't want to ask too many questions because I know you broke up recently. So that Yeah, might... <laughs> well, no, I broke, we broke up like a year ago. Oh, okay. um, visit family in Colombia, not crossed off. Perform oh. at the Comedy Cellar, not crossed off. Buy a house, obviously not crossed off. Learn <laughs> Learn to play Chopin's Nocturne and E flat major on the Ooh. piano. Crossed oh. off. Oh wow, off. that's um, rad. Do what? That's rad. Yeah, thanks, bro. I love playing piano. Um, here's the one that I'm crossing off. Record a stand-up album and put it out. Yes. Cross off, mate. Incredible. Oh, mate. The other two are do stand-up in Spanish and sell out a 200-seat venue. Do stand up in Spanish would be tough. Yeah, well. So yeah, I, 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 let's let's launch into that sort of things. I, th there's so much in there that I'm I'm interested in, but I I do want to talk about touring. And when you talked about going to London to do gigs, how did you find material? Like, are jokes just jokes, or is there like really cultural things you have to learn? Because you've done comedy throughout Europe. So yeah. we'll, we'll use London as a launch pad into the rest of telling jokes in other cultures. Well, I think if you're making jokes about something that's culturally specific to a place, that's great, but I'm not going to spend time writing those jokes because jokes are so hard to write that if I'm going to write a joke, it better be as general as possible so I really, really try to think about the references and the examples that I'm using and make them as general as possible because if they're not, and then, you know, like when you're writing a joke, like I'm aware when I'm writing a joke, if this works and I start doing that joke, I'm going to be doing it 50, a hundred, you know, two, 300 times. And the rhythm of the words is going to get baked into the joke. Yeah. And so there's a point where like changing it becomes really hard. If you've been doing a joke for six months and then you go, fuck, I'm going to Germany and I know that's not going to work there to take the bit out that doesn't work is way harder after six months than it is when you're writing the joke. Yep. Because the rhythm and everything is kind of set. So, um, 
So, and, and just to be clear, are you drawing a distinction between something that's just a joke or an because you do a lot of stories, you, you tell stories about your life. Yeah, but in the story, there is a, there's, there's jokes all the way yeah, through okay. the story. Yeah, like yeah. the story is just comprised of jokes and then exposition, really. Yep. Um, but so, like, if I'm if I'm going to write a joke, I want it to be as general as possible because it takes so much time and effort to actually get a good joke working. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing little cultural things that they can work, in my mind, they're just like party tricks, you know? Like if I'm going to go to Germany and do a joke about something specific to Germany or, or, or Spain or England or whatever, I'm not going to put time and effort into those things, but I will just have, like, you can pretty much go on stage somewhere. And if you know something really specific about that place, you just have to say it. And they'll go like, Whoa! like they're impressed <laughs> by that, you know? Yeah. Well, you they appreciate that you give a shit. Yeah. You don't need to spend time writing a good joke about something in Germany. You can just be like, fuck, man, you guys like this shit and like make fun of them for it or whatever. <laughs> and they'll just, they're just excited that you know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, when I'm actually writing the stuff for my act, yeah, I want it to be as general as possible. So then you, at the start, you do the stuff that maybe they, you know, Oh, this thing or that thing or whatever that's specific to them, just to like establish, hey, I'm here, we're talking, I'm I'm here with you, I'm not just some yeah, connect to the person. audience and yeah. You know. And then after that, I do my act, which hopefully is going to be the same everywhere. Um, and it, it generally is. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't amazing. I, I mean, I I only did a small bit in Edinburgh, and I, I, I my my greatest fun about that was I told some jokes that I'd done did in Melbourne and it got the same laughs and it, it amazed me that yeah people yeah man I mean I think you know if they're good jokes and good comedy the thing that's beautiful about it which is I'm it's... not I'm not trying to say I am good but, no, yeah. but I mean, if you've got jokes and they're good and they're honest and they speak to something you know that you care about those themes are universal if most good comedy is about some kind of universal thing you know if it gets you on a level that's actually deep um those themes like about family and love and loss and sadness and pain and whatever everyone goes through that so as long as you don't make your references too specific and there are some references that are just perfect and you can't change them but uh i, I try and steer clear of those when i'm writing a joke and make but it you, more when you say references you're talking about landmarks or things like yeah, that, that just, you can't you know, really when you, travel when you go like uh i'm trying to think of an example in my act um okay so i have a joke at the moment about how i just shaved my head and i say um my uh, i was going bold my bold spot was like up around the sides so i just had this one bit at the front of my head that was becoming kind of isolated this bit of hair yeah. and i say that tuft of hair was like vanuatu and my forehead is like the Pacific Ocean, just slowly rising up, you know? Yeah. And uh, that joke, that the reference in that joke is Vanuatu, right? My, yeah. That bit of hair is like X. So when I, I'm writing I know joke, that island, yeah. I'm like, okay, what? Yeah. I'm, the way I'm writing that joke is I'm like, that piece of hair is isolated. What else is isolated? Well, one of the countries that's being submerged by climate change. And so you just pick one and then you, and you try and pick one that has a funny sounding name to say that has like a kind of Vanuatu, you know, like yeah. the sound of it is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and that, but that relies on people knowing what Vanuatu is. Now I think 
You couldn't say people, Tasmania. You couldn't get away with that. But also Tasmania isn't isn't vanishing through climate change. Man. But you might say, like, uh, I, I don't know what... Vanuatu is the main island. That's one of the ones that's really going under. Yeah, but yeah. you might say one that's, like, more specific. Like, maybe maybe if you were from the Pacific Islands, you might know a more specific example, and that might get an even better reaction over there because that's a more immediate concern to them. Oh, okay. if you used that example and then went somewhere where they don't have that specific knowledge, you lose it. So what I'm trying to say is, like, make a general example and i think vanuatu is general enough that everyone in the world is aware at least on some level that vanuatu is a pacific island yeah. rather than being general in, in terms of being generic what you're trying to say is being being general in terms of general knowledge yeah, yeah. have yeah. have have knowledge that or you put stuff in your set that requires knowledge that most people have and yeah. like maybe if i played in china People wouldn't know that, you know, somewhere that's really culturally distant from me, but like I'm playing mostly, I mean, I'm playing entirely in, in, uh, Australia and Europe. And um, English speaking clubs too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to yeah. see, can, can we, can we cross off the Spanish, do a gig in Spanish? Have you no, tried I've learning Spanish? Spanish? Have no, you tried I, the learning? I've, I speak Spanish, but I've no, never didn't... done comedy in Spanish. Why not? Because it's my level's not quite good enough, and that for me is something that I think I would do. Like I eventually want to move back to the UK, and I think once I was over there and Spain's closer, I love I love Spain, man. I love spending time there, and that would be I don't know, man. I mean, it's just something that I want to do later. I'm not focusing on it right now. My my interest on that is to have, if you've looked at the rhythm of trying to do a joke in Spanish versus English. Is, is there any real difference? Have you listened? Have you gone no, to any I gigs or anything? My, my level isn't high enough that I could listen to stand up in Spanish. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I would need to learn a bit more Spanish. Like I've, maybe it's a cart before the horse thing. Maybe my way to learn Spanish at a higher level would be to try and do stand up in it and immerse myself in the language but i don't know man i mean i'm not making a living doing stand-up in english yet so <laughs> one, one at a time i don't know it could be the breakthrough moment <laughs> maybe maybe it could be the reverse of Varna mr gettys that's true um, but you've done gigs over there yeah how did, how did you get those booked um again just going to the place and sussing <laughs> out what was there like the first time I did comedy outside of the UK when I was living there, what was it? Oh no, I did. No, that's right. I did do a gig in Paris because I don't know if you've heard of Tom Rhodes. No, he's an American stand-up. He came up with um, Stan Hope and uh, Mitch Hedberg, and um, he's like a globe-trotting comedian. You know, he had a show in Amsterdam on TV for a long time in the nineties or the two thousands, I think. Um, and anyway, he has a podcast and I used to listen to it years ago before half of it went behind a paywall where he <laughs> used to interview people from all around the world, not necessarily even comedians, but just people who he met. And he interviewed this guy called Sebastian Marx, who was from New York, fell, yeah. in love with a, fell in love with a French lady, moved to Lyon, got married to her, and then they broke up. But he was in France. And so he said, all right, I'm going to live for a year in Paris. And, um, 
if it still works out, I'll stay. Like he was in Lyon for like five years. So he had like permanent residency. And he said, I'm going to live for a year in Paris. And if it keeps working, I'll keep staying. And if it doesn't, I'll go back to America. And he set up an English language comedy club there called the New York Comedy Club in Paris. And he kind of invented the English stand-up scene in Paris. And I listened to that podcast before I went to Paris. And I thought, that's so cool. And so I messaged him. I was just like, hey, I'm an Australian comic, whatever. And uh, he was like, yeah, cool, man. Come and, and we'll give you a set. So... I did a gig in Paris when I went to Paris and that was the thing that that was like a light bulb in my head. I was like, Oh, all right. I bet there's probably English comedy in a bunch of other places. Yeah. So in the years after that, I found that there's an amazing English comedy scene in Berlin, in Barcelona, in Amsterdam and and throughout the Netherlands. And I mean, now there's guys, there's a friend of mine, Victor Petrashkin, this um, uh, Romanian guy, doing stand-up in fucking everywhere. He's doing stand-up in so many different places. And there are all of these guys out there right now who are doing stand-up in English. Jack Holmes in Vienna. My friend Sid Singh. Um, there's a huge English touring circuit and it's like independent touring, but there's a huge, yeah, English touring circuit for stand-up okay. all throughout Europe. I got sent an email from a guy in Italy. Uh-huh. He's, he was a, he was a, piece it was a photograph of a from a piece of paper that said are you an english speaking comic click this square reader thing fill out the form do gigs in rome um rome where are the other there was three places in italy i can't remember milan? The top of my, probably milan and somewhere else and, uh, yeah yeah and i just thought is that a real thing? Is that a real way to get gigs? 100%, man. Do they, do they pay at all? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, or maybe they'll pay a feature. Um, yeah. I've done a lot of those gigs, man, in like Eastern or they call it, sorry, Central Europe. The Central Europeans really get tetchy about like Austria. They go, it's not it's not Eastern Europe, it's Central Europe. <laughs> um but yeah, I've done I've done a bunch of gigs in Austria and the Czech Republic, um, and uh, yeah, I mean like a, I've done heaps of gigs in Berlin. So is it just there's a- so many more out? There's not just the cities you've heard of. There's cities that you've never heard of that are like, you know, a hundred thousand people, and they might have, you know, two thousand expats. So you can go out there and do a show. And yeah, but it, it doesn't pay well, but it's it's like a good touring. It's a, it's a way to move. It probably well, pays you enough to to travel. Someone running the show in the town, they won't pay you. But if you put on your own show, and if you can sell tickets to those expats yourself, then you're making money. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. So if you go and do someone else's show, they'll probably let you sleep like sleep in their house and give you like a hundred euro, which yeah. is not any kind of amount of money that is going to amount to a career. But if you go out there yourself and there's, Oh, another guy, Dragos, Dragos Christian is another Romanian guy. He's huge on TikTok Now he does those crowd work videos and that kind of stuff. And he sells tickets everywhere. He's yeah. all over Europe, man. He does TikTok live. He does the crowd work videos and, um, and now he can tour all over Europe doing comedy in English. Is it um, good? Do, do do you take those tours as just good for practice or is it 
Um, is it just fun to do? Or is it? Oh, like me going out there. Yeah, you doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, man. I was doing it for a long time just for travel. Yeah. Um, I, I try and not do it as much in that way anymore. Like I never did the touring myself out there. I was always like doing other people's shows and stuff like that. And it was a bit of fun, but now like this year when I went out there, I made money. That's why I stayed more in Western Europe. Cause that's where more money is. Um, and I would love to go and do like the, the other way, you know, sell tickets, but I'm scared. Because I don't know if I would, and like losing money in Perth is one thing, but losing money in uh, in in you know Eastern Germany and Poland and Austria <laughs> is a much scarier prospect. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've got a until you're sort of close to time, so I've got a couple of questions, and one of them was going to be, what's your favourite gigs or festivals for to do gigs? Your favourite locations, and since you've been through Europe and Edinburgh and London and Australia, is there any are there any actual gigs that stand out or places that you, you went to places that you loved? Places and gigs. Um, I mean, like in English-speaking countries, fuck, what are some of the best places? Comedy Store in Sydney is amazing. Um, well, I was hoping you were going to say something like, Nottingham or the Manchester yeah. gig or some, and you just go comedy store in Sydney. Cool. The comedy store in Sydney is the best <laughs> room in Australia. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a better room in Australia than the store. Um, maybe like the stand, the stand in uh, uh, Glasgow is a fucking incredible room to play. That's where Stuart Lee filmed his 41st best stand up special. Um, <laughs> cool gigs to do though, like. There's this gig in, oh, this is probably more what you're looking for. There's this gig in a place called, oh, what's it called? Not Hoth, uh, in Lincolnshire. I can't remember the name of the town. Um, and it's this little hotel that this guy who's like a reformed junkie bought the hotel and everyone who works there, he like employs people with like severe mental, you know, disabilities or whatever. Yeah. And, um, so half of the staff are um, like neurotypical people and then half of the staff have like developmental disorders or mental disorders. And he says he doesn't, um, he doesn't go like, oh, I've got a job now. Let's find someone to fill the job. He finds a person first and then he creates a job around that person's oh, wow. ability. And um, anyway, they have a gig that my friend Robin Perkins books once a month. And you go there, you stay in the place. You, the pay is not very good, but you stay there. You hang out with the guy and all the people from the place and you, they cook you like a dinner and it's just a beautiful thing. And the community really gets around it. Like it's a tiny little town and that's their pub, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cool gigs like that in the UK. There's um, my favorite, I think my favorite place in Europe to go and do comedy is Berlin because there are so many, Berlin kind of feels like Melbourne in the sense that it's like, it's a bit more of a, it's not like a high rise, big city place. It's a big city, but it's like all spread out, but it's flat. So you can ride a bike or get the Metro and there's gigs all over the city and all of these tiny little bars. Um, and again, none of them, you're not making any money, but they're fucking awesome gigs. And you can do like two a night for like two weeks. Is that like a touristy vibe as well? Um, no, a lot of the people in, in Berlin, pretty much everyone speaks English. No, but I mean, like, is it like, 
uh, where's everybody from tonight? And it's going to be people from, I was oh, going to yeah. say Holland, but the Holland's are like close. Well, but but that's, <laughs> what, that's what Berlin, that's what Berlin is like as a city. Like Berlin as a city is full of people who aren't from Germany. They say Berlin isn't really Germany. Berlin is like such a cosmopolitan multicultural city and you can get around without speaking German. But outside of Berlin, uh, it's a very different Germany. So I've heard, I've not been, which is a case in point, you know. But so if you walk around the streets in Germany or you go to your local cafe, you can speak English and you'll meet people from wherever. And the comedy is the same. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Because I am actually going to go to Berlin next well, year. Well, you'll, you'll fucking love it, man. It rocks. And great. No, that, well, that's one of the reasons I'm going. I've heard it's really good. Um, I also wanted to ask you about writing a show. Uh-huh. But then mainly in terms of, because if you're touring a show, when you want that show to be, when you start writing a show, it's never the same show as when you finish. Yeah, correct. Which I assume means that you, by this stage, because you've done a few shows, you know, you've almost got a target in mind. And I assume it might be something like Melbourne or Adelaide. And yeah. that's where you want the finished product. Yeah. More ready. Melbourne. Melbourne, More Melbourne normally. So when, where, where do you backtrack it? Where do you start the, yeah, the writing well, to get to Melbourne? I try and not put too much of a, like, I try and not, I try and keep a hands-off approach to the finished product. So like you do comedy and just do comedy every night for fun. Yeah, Write okay. new bits, talk about what interests you and what is fun and funny and whatever. And, you know, eventually you work up material, you find things that work and you work on them and hone them and get them to be good bits. And then you try them in bigger rooms and clubs. Um, and then eventually around this time of the year, those things you'll have enough, you'll have like maybe 40 minutes or 30 minutes of stuff. And you start looking at it and trying to put it together and going, all right, what's the, what's the through line with all this stuff? What, what are these bits all have in common thematically or is there a story or whatever? Yeah. And then you start doing some trial shows and you do it all together and you start kind of seeing that pattern and the show kind of emerges from the material. Because the That's show is really so just you the... just you're just spending a almost a year or whatever months in the lead up to that point where you're just talking about the things that you're finding interesting at the time, and then you step yeah. back and see, oh, there's a lot of that is about X yes. or Y or Z. Yeah, and the the temptation is always to because I'm always looking for that pattern, and the temptation is to in say June have two or three bits and see a pattern and go, oh, all right, that's what the show's going to be. And then write a bit that would fit into the show that you've just imagined. But I've found that that is often a dead end because it's too early. And then you're kind of trying to tell your brain what to think about. Yeah. And you just, yeah, it's just, it's just, I've done that in the past and it doesn't lead to a good show because I, I like fixated on, you know, this idea. And then I was like, well, I have to write, if I'm going to do that show, I have to write a bit about this or that thing. Yeah. And then I start trying to write that bit and it's not working. And I'm like, no, I have to do that bit. It needs to be that bit. Cause otherwise the show won't work. And then I've wasted three months writing this bit, not having fun 
and it's not a good bit. And I could have just been having fun in those three months and come up with another 15 minutes of gear. And it might've been something on a completely different topic, but yes. Or it might've been from the same topic, but on a perspective that I hadn't thought of, you know, like often the thing that I first think the show's going to be about is correct, but that because your instincts are pretty good, but that doesn't mean like, I still don't know what direction I need to go in. So best to just, yeah, go. If something something happens that day, that's funny. Great. Talk about that on stage or if something happens that week and I'm, and I'm talking about it with my friends all the time, talk about that rather than trying to tell some story from 10 years ago, you know, (laughs) that I think might be thematically relevant, like relevant to the show or whatever, because you get to the end of the process and you realize it was all relevant because you're the same person feeling the same things. And that's through line. That's interesting. That's a great way to go about it. Yeah. It's hard. I I have to keep telling myself all the time to do that. You have to be careful not to try and force something into it. It's like, be like water, man. Luca Muller, his first show, be like water. Still such a great lesson that I think about all the time. It's, I mean, that's Bruce Lee. I think it's just, rather than trying to mold the world around you to fit to what to conform to what you think it needs to be just be like water does it it takes the shape of whatever container it's in you know and it's malleable and flowing and loose that's the way that's that's the way and here i am thinking okay it's october which means the festival's in April, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I have to October, November, December start oh pardon me. Start having a show to put together for for fringe in Perth and then uh Adelaide and then Melbourne and structure it. <laughs> and and that's not water, that's making sure you have hit those deadlines yeah man no i the, I, I think i mean even when the festival arrives you can still be figuring the show out that's fine as long as you're having fun on stage and putting on the best performance you can on that night that is the key that is uh that well that's that's good because that's a, the last question i ask is why are you in this industry why comedy man why comedy dog why because i'm here to make money i'm here to take over i'm here to get pussy <laughs> if this last uh, if this last hour of chat about crossing off the uh the love you no longer have and the money you lost yeah in Perth has proved yeah, the same, i think yeah soz man i don't think that's true um yeah, man. I mean, I'm here because this is the only thing I've ever been able to do. I've been doing this for 11 years and I still want to keep doing it. I'm excited that I have a gig tonight. And that is yeah. something that I think is very rare. And I'm very lucky to be able to say, you know, because um, I've done so many other things, dude, like, fuck, man, you know what? This is, this will, this is a good illustration, right? When I was in Perth one night after the show in Fremantle, um, we went to this bar and they have like all these video games and I was playing pinball. They gave us some free games because they know the people who ran the comedy, whatever. So I had some pinball games. There's like pizza, pinball, beer, sick. I'm playing pinball. I'm loving it. I'm having a great time playing pinball. And then we leave and Brendan, the guy who runs the Oasis comedy club out there, he goes, man, you know, there's another venue like this near the other place where we're doing the gig tomorrow night. 
And I'm like, sick. Guess what I'm doing tomorrow before the gig? I'm going to play some pinball because I have a card with 10 games left over. And then the whole day before I went to play pinball again, I get ahead of myself so quickly. And I was like, dude, maybe this is like my new hobby. I love playing pinball, you know? I'll like be pinball guy. And I'm like looking up places <laughs> to play pinball in Melbourne, like pinball bars and shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. When I get back to Melbourne, I'm going to hit up all these places and play pinball and all these. And I'm like, you know, maybe one day when comedy is like a career enough that I can buy a house, I'll like have a couple pinball machines in my house <laughs> and I'll, people will come around and we'll play pinball and that'll be my thing. And then anyway, I go to this place and play pinball before the gig and I fucking hated it. It was so bad. I'm really bad. It's hard. Pinball's so hard. And I kept fucking losing and it goes down the middle and I was getting angry. I was like hitting the machine. I'm like, fuck, fuck. And I was there for an hour and I left. I was like, oh, fuck this, man. I fucking hate pinball. Fuck you, James Palace. And that... That's an example of how quickly I get ahead of myself and thinking about, you know, my whole life is going to be this thing. And comedy is the only thing in my life that has ever lived up to that expectation of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to build my life around it. Well, the beautiful thing there is that uh, like every comedian, I'm not just going to say about you, but everybody has failures in comedy, like yeah. big ones, but you Unlike pinball, you're going back to comedy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And I bombed I bombed at a show years ago in 2015. And with the headliner comic that night said that to me. I messaged him like the next day and I was like, Man, what happened? Am I okay? Um and he was he said that to me. He was just like, Man, you know, everyone's got a bomb like that in them. There's no comic around who hasn't bombed like that. We've all done it and it's embarrassing and humiliating and you were shit. But the important thing is that you got back on stage the next night and a lot of people would have quit after having that gig, but you didn't. So that's what makes a comedian. I agree with that. I don't know if that's why you do comedy, but it's inspiring as to, I guess it is. It's why you do comedy because it's the thing that keeps driving you. Yeah. For some unknown reason. There's uh, one of the guys who I interviewed on the podcast, oh, sorry, on the, um, on the uh, documentary, documentary. Mervyn, Mervyn Stutter, the guy who's been running Pick of the Fringe for Assembly for 35 years, I said to him, how have you been doing it for 35 years? That's incredible. And he said, are you married? And I said, no. And he said, well, ma doing this is kind of like a marriage. It's not that you made a decision. It's that it was just working and it was working and working and working. And then suddenly it's been 35 years. <laughs> and it's, it's like that, you know, it's just like you don't do something for... I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years. You don't do something for 11 years unless it's working on some level. And it makes me happy. And it gives me something. Uh, it gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning and a reason to do all the shit that I don't want to do in the day. It's because at night, I know I get to go and do that thing. Wow. That's great, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Mate. That was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media, at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected, as a frog can, 
but the thing dies in the process. 